right, hey everybody. I want to welcome you to tonight's episode of Bible News Radio. As you guys know, I am your sweet local host. Yeah, I am. Uh, so, thank you for joining me. And tonight, what I want you to want to do is I really want to encourage you to um, go ahead and take, take a moment to share this out. Because I believe with all my heart, my heart, that tonight, as we share from the Word of God... Um, about God and His love for us, uh, that this can and will change lives if we let it, if we allow the Lord to minister to our hearts, and we allow the Lord to touch our hearts in a way that is fresh and new. Because I tell you what, you know what, the enemy of our soul does not want people to know that God loves them where they're at. And I don't know about you, but before I knew God loved me, I didn't have the hope that I have now that he loves me. And, you know, even tonight, I I emailed my email list. By the way, you can join that by going over to BibleNewsRadio.com and you can sign up for it. But I emailed my email list and tonight somebody unsubscribed, somebody who has been a friend for many years, actually. Um, who has unfortunately veered left and decided to embrace the gay ideology um, and, and actually believe that homosexuality cannot, um, you know, that, that it can coexist with Christianity, right? But it can't. And we can't change God's word. So over the last couple of days, I had the opportunity to... Uh, to attend an online conference with the Restored Hope Network. Um, and, you know, this is a network of individuals and people who who spend their lives um, being attacked by the homosexual activist community um, and being maligned and taken off social media platforms and have their, the, you know, many people who have written books about their change because of what Christ has done. They've been, they have been demonetized they've been removed from amazon they've been they've been deplatformed various places because the enemy of our soul does not want the message that there is change and there is hope for those who struggle with sexual problems with sexual issues you know and so tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a little bit about some of the takeaways I got from, from the Restored Hope Conference, the Restored Hope Network um, Conference. And in coming days, in, in future shows, I am going to be lining up a number of people who have either spoken at that conference or uh, who have been personally impacted with this issue of sexual brokenness, whether it's, you know, sexual addiction or... Um, people who've come out of the transgender lifestyle, which I've heard a powerful testimony today, a a lady who had um, lived as a man for over 30 years. She shared her testimony today about how the Lord delivered her. Now think about that. 30 years spent living as a man and God delivered her. Reminds me of the word of God where it talks about how, you know, A young man was born blind at birth and God saved him. You know, he opened his eyes. Another person, 
you know, tried to get well for like almost 40 years. And finally, God touched him and he came to Christ. So it's never too late. If you've been struggling with a besetting sin or or something that um, challenges you, it's never too late to get healing. And, you know, sometimes transformation, you know, doesn't happen instantly. I mean, I can tell you in my own life, there are things that I struggle with still after, I don't know what I just heard out there, after, you know, being a Christian for almost 40 years now, um, there are still things that impact me from my childhood that I, that I have to wrestle with, I struggle with, you know, in terms of, um, you know, different things. And, and I've seen over the years, God take that hurt. And the more I'm able to give it to him and get into community, get into relationship with people, the more he has brought healing into that area. Um, and so what I want you to know is you're not alone. Uh, there is hope and God loves you. So with that said, I want to start this by reading you from Psalm 139. This Psalm is so precious to me and I don't know what what Mr. is doing but he's he seems to be making some noise um but this psalm is is one of my favorite and and I really encourage you with all of my heart to really stop and think about the words to this as as I read this can can you see what Grover's doing yeah, I'm just kind of wondering what he's doing. There we go. My dog, he's just making a problem right now. <laughs> it sounded like he smashed into something. <laughs> one of the one of the benefits to working at home with a blind dog that walks around smashing into stuff. Um, so I will. Um, Ask for God's blessing. Did you find him? Yeah. Okay. On the reading of his word, and then let's let's read what God's word says here. Father, I just ask that you would um, bless the reading of your word. Lord, that you would open the hearts of those who hear this, whether it's live or on the replay, that they would feel your love as we read your word that you declared through David um, about who you are and about who we are and who you made us. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So King David, one of my favorite people in the word. Um, King David was a man after God's own heart. He knew what it was like to be an outcast. In fact, his backstory, in case you didn't know, is that he, was, he, he, he tended sheep, and he was, he was picked last. <laughs> He was, he was picked last, um, and yet he did many mighty exploits as a shepherd, right? Um, and then he's elevated to king. We get, we get the, line, the line of David. Jesus comes through that, um, and he commits some pretty egregious sin, right? Murder, adultery, you know, sin that was technically punishable by death, um, but God showed mercy on him. And, um, and so consider the heart of this man, David. 
as we, we, we read his prayer. He wrote, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand. Uh, he took, he, Randall just took the. Because you're reading a screen. different version. I was oh, trying okay. to. <laughs> Trying to get the right translation. Okay, I'm trying to find it now. Where? Okay, okay. Place your hand on. Okay, wait a minute. All right. What version do you have up? I had NASB 95. Okay, that's what this is. Mm, it's not matching. Hmm, it's weird. All right. Well, let's start this over then. Okay, people. <laughs> okay, I, I'm just gonna read. You don't have to put it on the screen. It's okay. So. Well, I started reading from the screen, and then you moved it, so... Well, then you were reading All right, things I'm that weren't. All right, I'm just going to read it from, from the screen. Just don't, like, remove it, because then I, I won't be able to read it. Gotcha. All right, okay. Let's start over, people. All right, here we go. Take two. Take two. <laughs> oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. First of all, let me ask you something. Is there anybody in your life that knows when you sit down and get up? I tell you what, one person in my life knows when I get up in the morning. And that would be Bareface. Nobody else knows when I get up, but Randall does. Um, and clearly God does. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. Randall doesn't understand my thoughts from afar. I don't understand them close up. He doesn't know my thoughts, period, right? Um, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, Surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night as, is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Let's talk about this just for a minute, okay? So God formed our inward parts. He knit us together in our mother's womb. I want to share something with you. This is interesting. David didn't write that and go, 
wow, you know what? I'm so worthless. You know, I don't know why God made me. God, you know, he hates me. He doesn't love me. I think I'm going to die, you know, because, you know, that. No, what he did was he actually um, recognized God made him and that he was knit together in his mother's womb. And he said, I will give thanks to you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. And this is one thing right here I want to exhort you to. I want to exhort you. If you're somebody who struggles with whether or not you're worthy and your life matters, do what King David did. Give thanks to God for the fact that he created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He called you forth. He appointed the day you were born. He will appoint the day that you die. In verse 15, we read, my, fame, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should commit, count them, they would outnumber the sand. <laughs> when I awake, I am still with you. Now think about that, okay? The thoughts that God has towards you are, you can't count them. Right? Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever been obsessed about something? I have. I live in obsession. I have a little bit of OCD. True story. Um, I ruminate. I focus. I get fixated on stuff. It's very annoying. I don't like it. Uh, but one of those, one of the, one of the good news, the good news about that is that I get fixated on Jesus often more than I do some of the things that used to hinder me. God thinks about you. He loves you. He thinks about you all the time. He loves you. He loves you. He made you. Now, I don't know if you've ever made anything from scratch. Um, I have. I've made numerous things from scratch. I, I make jewelry. Um, I write. I create music. Um, I've worked with clay before. Um, I've painted. And sometimes there's these things that, you know, you, you take care when you're creating something. Um, and, you know, I know for me, sometimes one of, one of the things I do, I love to bless people with stuff, whether it's a card or a gift or, or I make something special and I, I spend time to create it and make it. Um, and, and I think like, will this bless this person? You know, and by the way, if you're watching and if I've ever sent you a card or a gift of any type, please know that when I do that, it's because I genuinely love you and I want to bless you. And you may not understand the love that I have for you <laughs> as a result of what I do, but I really do put a lot of thought into what I do. I don't just send things haphazardly. I send things that I think are sometimes funny, sometimes they're, you know, just because but it's, it's really something I put a lot of thought into why I want to send you a particular thing. Um, and, and it's because I've thought about you. I've thought about um, 
how this could bless you. How much more so when God thinks about us. Every gift that we have, every breath that we take, it's a gift from God, right? And if you've ever had a hard time breathing like I've had in, in like with, you know, allergies and things, you can appreciate the gift of breath, right? That God gives us life. He gives us a purpose. And we just have to trust and obey because he will show, he will unfold his plan for us if we just follow him and trust him. Um, and so um, in verse 18, it says, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. If it looks like I'm looking to the sides, because I am. I'm no longer looking in front of me, because Randall moved the, the words on me. <laughs> oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So David has this intimate relationship with, with the Lord and he declares his praise and his thanks to God for creating him. For, for God's omniscience, for God, his all-knowing ability to know him, for God's omnipresence, for where he is all the time, um, for the power that God has in general, his all-knowingness, his sovereignty, his love for him over all creation. And he actually even partners with God against his enemies. Um, and yet, at the same time, ends it by saying, search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me. I fell in love with David this year when I was reading through um, First and Second Samuel, and I was reading there because one of the things that David did was he was very gracious to his enemies. Um, he had an opportunity to kill Saul, just as an example, a couple of times, and he didn't do it. He could have. Saul wanted him dead, but he didn't do it uh, because David was a man after God's own heart, and um, he understood God's mercy and his grace, unlike Jonah, the prophet, who, when he was sent to his enemies at Nineveh, Jonah had no compassion. <laughs> Jonah ended up being thrown over a boat and getting swallowed by a big fish because he was disobedient to the Lord. And yet, after being disciplined, he goes and he preaches to Nineveh. They all repent. And then Jonah gets all upset and mad because these people repented and God showed his, their, his compassion towards them. You know, you and I, Romans chapter 5 says that at one point we were enemies and yet Christ died for us while we were yet, you know, his, his enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's really life impacting and very powerful when you think about it. God knows what you struggle with. He knows the things you're doing in secret that are not right. He knows your thoughts. He understands you. He made you. You know, he 
he really cares for you. He will do miracle after miracle after miracle in your life if you slow down and you look at what he does. And, you know, we live in a culture today that's a culture of death. It's a culture of convenience. It's a culture that that says, you know what, God, I'm going to do it my own way. And I don't care what you put into this. I don't care that you made me. I don't care that you made my friend. I don't care that you could fix the circumstance that I got myself in this mess. Never forget that, by the way. God can deliver anybody from anything and he can fix any circumstance. If you don't think you can get out of a mess that you're currently in, and I know this is talking to somebody, God can get you through it. I want to share just a personal testimony here. When I was 14, I turned in my abuser um, and some things happened as a result of that. I got, there was a police report filed and, and, um, you know, and my mom made me force, she forced me to recant the, the stuff and the police knew I was lying because of my mom and, and it was a really traumatic time for me. Um, and I look back and I'm, I, I look back and I go, man, how the heck did I even get through that situation? It was, God knew he was working things out. I was devastated though. Got through, got through high school, fortunately, moved down on my own and eventually got myself into therapy because I needed somebody to talk to. And I was, I was a mess. I was emotionally a mess. And somebody told me to go see a counselor. I didn't even know what that was. I looked it up and, and made a, made my very first scary phone call, which is always the hardest. And I went and I saw this, this therapist and they started to talk to me and they wanted to know why I was there. They asked about my life and I actually was like, wow, somebody cares about my life. That's a shock. Um, and I started talking about my life and some of the stuff that I went through. And, and when it got to the point where I shared what happened with the police and turning in my abuser, this therapist asked for more info and I gave it to her and she went to the state of California and in California, they have a victim witness assistance program, which I knew nothing about. She went to the victim witness assistance program, explained the situation that happened to me. They found that there was that police report from all those years prior that had been filed on my behalf. And she filed some paperwork with, with the victim witness assistance program. And victim witness, which is a program that awards victims of crime compensation for being a victim of a crime. And I was a victim of a lot of crimes. Victim Witness awarded me $10,000. And that money was given to me to help pay for my therapy and my help. Now, I didn't know seven years prior when I went through that situation and my mom forced me to deny it, that seven years later, I was going to be given $10,000 from the government because they acknowledged and validated the crimes against me. But I look back at that and I think, you know what? That was a mess that only God knew. He only, you see, here's the thing. Never forget, God knows your future. You don't, right? If, if I knew then 
what I know now, you know, I would, I would be like, nah, there's no way. There's no way God would use what I went through then to minister and bless somebody now, right? If you knew then what you know now about your life, do you think that you would live differently? Do you think that you would trust God more because he walked you through a situation that, that um, you didn't think you'd ever get through? You know, it, we always say hindsight is twenty twenty because we look back and we go, oh, now I can see. But you know what? God has foresight we don't have. And he knows where we're headed. He knows how he's going to use you to impact somebody else. He, he guides your steps, right? And it's, it's an amazing, intimate thing. He scrutinizes your path and you're lying down. He lays your hand, his hand on you. When was the last time somebody laid their hand on you? I don't know about you, but I sit with my dog often and I often pet him. I lay my hand on him. Why? Because I love him, because I want to pet him, because I, 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 I care for him. I want to comfort him when he's anxious. Sometimes, you know, earlier tonight, I was sitting on the couch and he came up and he, he laid his head on my, on my breast area here at my chest. I was like, oh, there's my baby. He's just, he loves me. You know, how much more so when the Lord lays his hand on you, when he guides you, when he scrutinizes you, when he gently moves you towards where you're going. That's trust. For those of us who've been violated, who've lost trust, who have had um, injury in that area, that can be tough. It doesn't happen overnight. That's why this life is a journey. It's not, it's, it, it just doesn't happen, right? It takes time. And so I want to encourage you. If you're somebody who's struggling with that type of thing, let me encourage you and remind you, life hurts, but God heals. And he will come in and he will heal you. But healing takes time. And honestly, it takes community and it takes courage. You can't just heal on your own. And that's where the enemy tries to get us. He tries to get us by ourselves so that we, we, are, we become self-destructive. I read this article this morning. I was so sad when I read it. It was of a pastor who, I think he was in his mid-30s, he uh, ministered among those who had mental illness and he had a heart for those who struggle with uh, mental health issues, right? Mental illness issues. And he killed himself. And I'm like, why? And I believe often that happens because those people don't allow themselves to be heard and they don't, they, they try to play God in many ways. And they don't allow people into where they need the ministry. You know, God didn't make us to be a God to anybody else. And, you know, if you're somebody out there who thinks that the way you help people is by, is by, you know, trying to be all things to all men, 
it's not going to happen. You can't, you can't, you can't, you cannot be all things to all men. You have to take care of yourself first and you got to allow God to take care of you. And you need people to help you to get through the situation that you need to get through. Um, and so this conference, this one of the things I, I'm taking away from it. Um, Nancy, Dr. Nancy Hayes, who was Anne Hayes's mom, spoke at this conference. And, you know, this is a woman who uh, is a widow. Uh, you know, Anne was in a relationship with Ellen DeGeneres many years ago, came out as lesbian. Praise God, she's out of that relationship now. But, but um, you know, um, Nancy she had a husband that died of AIDS and was secretly homosexual and she had another husband died. So she's been widowed twice. Um, she struggled with the homosexual issue with her daughter. Um, and you know, listening to her and I'm hoping to have her on our show soon, but listening to her, I was just so touched because her message had to do with God's sovereignty and understanding that Everything that we go through in our life as a believer, especially, is to make us more like Christ. You know, the word of God says that, that, the, that Jesus and the Father, I and the Father are one. Our goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to become Christ-like, which means to become more like the Father. Every relationship that you have, every experience you go through in some way is, you know, in Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. There is a plan there that will help us to get to the place where God has called us to be. So she was talking about God's sovereignty and, and, um, and also the story of the prodigal son which I think is in Luke, is it Luke 15? Yes. Yeah. So let's look at that just for a minute. In Luke chapter 15 here. I'm waiting for. And by the way, I can't see anybody. So if anybody is on there, just want to let you know that I can't see you, but I believe you're there. So want to thank you for, uh, for watching and tuning in. All right, so Luke chapter 15, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of this state that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. You scroll it up a little bit. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat so that, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. And that, isn't that a beautiful story? Now, I don't know about you, but one of the time, you know, one of the things that we look at sometimes is we look at the older brother, right? And um, I have an older brother, so I can understand older brothers. Um, but we look at the older brother and the older brother isn't looking at this from the father's perspective. He's looking at it from his perspective, which is his idea of what fair is, you know, and the fact that, hey, look at me, I did all the right stuff and you're not doing anything special for me, are you? <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the younger son, the prodigal, goes out, he does things his way, but the father waits the dad waits. And I believe in that waiting, the father prayed. And the younger prodigal repents. He realizes his error. He realizes, I'm not worthy. And he comes to the father and he repents. And the father rejoices because his son has been found and he comes back, gives them a party, gives them clothes, gives them food and celebrates that he's back. You know, in a way I can kind of understand that um, because I had a very interesting relationship with my dad. And, you know, one of the things Nancy Hayes said at this conference was that God is trying to make us like the father to give us the heart of the father 
Now I'm a woman, so I believe God's father heart is also a mothering, nurturing heart as well. But, you know, my dad was lost to me for many years. Um, I, I wasn't raised with my dad. My mom and dad got divorced when I was seven. And from seven until 23, I really had no relationship with my dad. He gave me away at my wedding when I was 23. That was pretty much all he did. And then it was probably about seven years ago when I was 40 something, 48, something like that. I don't know. I was in my mid forties when my husband and I went down to Florida. We, we took my dad in and took care of him as an older 80 something year old man with dementia and Parkinson's. My dad had always been lost to me in those, in that year. I longed for a relationship with my dad. I wanted a dad to love me, to take care of me, to all that. And yet my dad was selfish. He was like the prodigal, you know, he decided to live his way. He didn't want to pay child support to take care of me when I was younger. He, he was selfish. He, he ate the pig's pods, if you will. And he didn't get saved until he was in his sixties, which is quite late actually. But God, when he reunited me and my dad about almost seven years ago, it wasn't easy at first because I didn't know my dad. You know, I, I couldn't understand his dementia because I never had anybody with dementia around me. And, you know, that's tough, right? But the more I got to know my dad, the more people would say, including Randall, actually, man, you're a lot like your dad. You and your dad are so much alike, you know, and, and it, and it really is interesting because my father and I really were a lot alike. You know, he has this quirky sense of humor like me. I have this very, you know, I like to tease people, but he would tease me the way I would tease people. I'd be like, "How? what? And I remember one time Randall said, why are you getting upset? He's just doing to you what you do to other people. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that I did that. You know, um, my dad, I remember one of my favorite things, one of my favorite memories of my dad is... Um, visiting him at night once when he was in assisted living and, and, um, he was laying in bed an old man. Okay. We're talking old <laughs> and I was kind of tucking him in and he looks at me and I'm looking at him and, um, neither one of us said anything. And then He's like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, well, what are you thinking? He's like, I'm thinking this is like looking in a mirror. And I busted up laughing because that's what I was thinking. At that point, my dad and me had become um, familiar. We knew each other, right? I began to know my dad and he began to know me. And God loves us and, and he, he loves the prodigal. My dad repented of the things that he did didn't do for me, you know, and God gave me the blessing of being there with him when he died a couple months ago. But, you know, the thing is, is you can't know the father unless you're in a relationship with him. You can look at things from afar, 
But until you're willing to actually enter into that relationship, you're never going to know. And our society, you guys, let me tell you something. Our society intentionally keeps us isolated. If you're on a phone texting people or watching video or being an observer from the outside, that's not developing relationships with people. That's technology. That's a relationship with technology, which does not bring fulfillment at all. And it brings distance. We have to be in community with people. That's where the healing comes. And God will put you in community. And I know part of the problem with our culture is that a lot of times people have, have, uh, um, they have a struggle with the church because so many people get hurt in the church because a lot of people are wounded in the church and there's a lot of abuse in the church. Unfortunately, it's true. Um, I've been abused in the church. I know a lot of you have been abused in the church. Um, but the thing is, is God does not abuse you and the father in heaven will never abuse you. And Jesus will never abuse you. He'll never hurt you in any way. And he has never hurt anybody in any way, ever. And sometimes we're God to other people in the flesh, right? But the thing is, is we're not God, right? But the closer we get to him, the more we are like him. So my encouragement to you is get into community with people and and begin to develop relationships with people who are in God's word. And I've said this before, and I'm even more convinced by it now, um, many years later. And that is that if the people in your life that are closest to you are not in God's word, they're not reading the word of God, they're not growing in their faith in, in the word of God, then get new people in your life and get people around you who are in the word of God. That's how you're going to grow. It might not be always easy. But that's where you're going to grow because the world is getting darker and you're going to need to be around people who are going to be close to Jesus so that they can bring you through those times that are going to be tough. You know, when it comes to homosexuality, um, you know, Joe Dallas spoke at this conference and here's a couple of things that he said. For some reason, my, my there it is again. I don't know why it won't let me move this. There we go. One of the things that he said is, um, is that when language is redefined, you get the following. So one of the things that he, he, um, he said is, um, um, the gay activist community has revised disagreement to mean damage. Think about that. So if you disagree with me about any type of sin, then what you're blank, what you're doing is you're, you're like, no, that's damaging to you. So if, if I say homosexuality is a sin, um, what that does is that equates declaring homosexuality to be changeable, which it is. But see, if we say that homosexuality is not a sin, then what we're saying is it's not changeable and, um, you're okay in that sin. You know, and it's interesting, Joe also said, whereas homosexuality has been declared normal by the APA, which is the American Psychological Association in 1973, 
Therefore, be it resolved that homosexuality is inborn and immutable, whereas homosexuality is inborn and immutable, therefore, be it resolved that declaring homosexuality be changeable is damaging. That's what the gay activist community wants you to believe, that, that if you can change, then, then that's damaging. Um, whereas declaring something to be a sin also requires declaring it to be changeable. Therefore, be it resolved that declaring homosexuality is a sin equates declaring homosexuality to be changeable, whereas declaring homosexuality is a sin um, equates declaring homosexuality to be changeable. And I said that again. And whereas declaring homosexuality to be changeable is damaging, be it, may it be resolved that declaring homosexuality as a sin is damaging. That makes sense? So if we say that homosexuality is a sin, we're declaring that as damaging. That being changed is damaging. And yet it's not. Homosexuality is a sin, but change is not damaging. Change towards Christ is always healing. And that's where the problem is in our culture and often in our church. Right? Just another thing to think about. I would like to bring, bring Randall into this conversation. And then I got two articles I want to read you about the Bible that I found very interesting that I think is just kind of interesting. And when we look at the Bible, uh, especially how it's being portrayed in the news, um, these stories will give you some encouragement, I think. But Randall, I want to see if you have any comments as I go on, before I go on. So I can um, drink a water too. Okay, comments on what in particular? Anything I've said. Um, anything you said. Well, let's go back to psalm 139 you know that that leads me to the importance of scripture in context right you know because some folks will look at that and see oh david hated people and you know hate hate is is right you know the bible says it right there you know don't don't i hate you know i hate them with a perfect hatred you know the bible condones hatred uh yeah if you take one <laughs> verse out of context but you know, ignore First John. You know that you ignore uh, that you ignore the Sermon on the Mount, etc. Um, you know David there, and I love his heart. Oh, you know I I hate the people that hate you. And then he says, "Search me, try me. Right. You know if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. It's not a prideful way. See, prove me. You know I, I hate those that hate you and." And, you know, find any wrong, you know, because his lead me in the way, you know, he, there's something in him, I think, that as he felt this, it's like, you know, something doesn't feel quite right. And so lift it up to the Lord, search me, try me, you know, if there's any wicked way, lead me in the everlasting way. Um, but um, that doesn't mean that God loves everything. Certainly loves everyone, but not everything that we would do, and and what what we see in the you know in what's becoming popular culture. It's not popular; it's been made popular. 
through this redefining uh, of language, etc., that you alluded to, is it's it's equating disagreement with damage and disagreement with hatred, uh, etc., and that's just that's not that's not the case. Um, to find something objectionable, uh, to find to find something. Um, that's harmful to someone, you know, to recognize it as harmful, objectionable, is, is not tantamount to hating an individual. I mean, if, um, if you're in a burning house and, you know, I go to rescue you, it's, it's not because I hate you. It proves because I didn't just stand, you know, stay in there and burn. You know, but what if you were sleeping and you were comfortable and you were just going to, you know, the by, you know, smoke inhalation, you were just going to fall asleep and, uh, you know, just comfortably die unconscious. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't hate you because I see you in danger and, you know, call your attention to it. And, and similarly to call attention to something you know that we you know we see someone in danger it's not it's not out of hatred and should never be come out in that way and never expressed that way but is you know the Westboro Baptist family that's disintegrating uh, you know in there yeah that's that's not uh, that's not godly at all right um, and, and the conference that you attended this weekend, much of, I mean, it's not talking about hunt down and convert people. It's those who are, you know, yeah, they, just un- want it. they want change, right? Someone who's conflicted, someone who's conflicted, who doesn't like where they're at, ought to have, uh, freedom of association, right. uh, you know, to seek the communities they want and the help that they want, and and the and the thing is that change is available for them that want it. Yeah, and I want to redirect you to. I want to tell you go to RestoredHopeNetwork.org. RestoredHopeNetwork.org. If you go there, you will be able to get a ton of resources. Um, if you're a mom or a dad and you have a child that's in the lifestyle, they have help for you. They have prayer groups for, for parents who have children who are in the lifestyle. Um, if you're somebody that struggles with your sexual identity or, or same-sex attraction or sexual addiction, they have people that they can refer you that can help you. Um, so go to RestoredHopeNetwork.org. I also want to tell you that... Um, you know, Randall and I, we would love your support as well. Uh, we're a nonprofit. We would love if you partnered with us and became a monthly donor with us. Um, and you can do that by going over to BibleNewsRadio.com uh, and go to the Give tab and donate through there to our Heart Tug International nonprofit. Um, if you like what we do, we could really use your support. Even a monthly donation of $5 will help us. Um, so pray about that and consider becoming a partner with us because um, I'm telling you, there are a few and far between ministries out there that are trying to help people with these issues. And we're out here. We've been very faithful. 
uh, for the 17 years I've done this show to um, bring the truth to, to light about that issue. Um, so your help would be helpful. I want to read you now an, an article that was written by a lady named Beth Pratt. And the title of the article is The Bible Through Story Speaks to Reality. And this is what it says. She writes, For years now, I have observed how difficult it is to communicate with people through statements of fact, but only now am I coming to understand why we have difficulty with making choices based on entirely factual information. If you notice, successful politicians are aware that most of us prefer to be told what we want to hear rather than inform about rather than informed about realities that might disturb our preferred story. Go into public libraries and see how much larger their fiction section usually is compared to other categories by which books are shelved. Although there are wide ranges of preference in the types of stories, we are attracted to certain authors or not according to our particular interests. We all like to lose ourselves in a story. People prefer to read stories rather than facts. This is not a critique on intelligence of readers, but a recognition that as humans, most of us are a bundle of contradictions fueled more by emotion than by ever-changing technical information. Today's world seems complicated by a confusing multitude of voices, all claiming their own, quote, truth, unquote. The more appropriate word here is not truth, but opinion. It is our opinion about truth which we seem to reject or accept based on a multitude of reasons. Education and religion are powerful cultural influences, but personal experience over time helps to moderate or intensify how we evaluate what we learn in all areas. Even within one family, we are different according to our individuality, abilities, and relationships with one another. It is no accident that the ancient Bible stories in the collection referred to by Christians as the Old Testament are filled with family stories that demonstrate both the best and worst of human choices and outcomes. That's one of the arguments for why the Bible is valid. <laughs> Just so you know. It is through story that we identify those who make, quote, good choices or, quote, bad choices, according to the abbreviated accounts of sibling interaction and rivalry, Many years ago, I read widely in the field of developing human behavior, both the textbook and popular versions, which promise, quote, new understandings about the family unit. That's not new. I would write in the margins of my psychology books when I recognized information as encapsulated in familiar stories of Bible characters. Biblical literature does far more than many realize in portraying human nature as it is shaped by circumstance and culture. Hence, the warnings for a particular people chosen by God to resist the cultural influence of other groups, lest they forget their heritage of revelation. Even more challenging is the constant illustration of how easily a people group can be led astray. But that was long ago and far away. We live in a very different world now. Really? If we are honest, we can identify most errors that bring judgment upon people in today's multiplicity of culture, race, language, geography, educational status, and our own extended families. The Old Testament and a companion volume Christians call the New Testament are prophetic about where humanity is headed. 
We need to put aside our prejudices and pride to allow the whole to speak clearly on judgment in our time. Above all, it tells us humanity is not at all alone or accidental in the universe. We speak of science fiction and wonder what is really, quote, out there. The Bible, through story, speaks to reality of origin and purpose beyond our imaginative or investigative powers. Since some of us grow wiser as we grow older, I recommend getting deeply reacquainted with these Bible stories of beginnings. Beth Pratt is uh, retired after 25 years as the religion editor of the Avalanche Journal. I think what she said is right on. Right on. I love that. All right. One last story, then we're going to get out of here and let you go on with your day. I wanted to, I found this story here over on Joplin Globe. It says here, Joplin Man once had the largest Bible collection in the Midwest. By the way, I got something in my mouth. That's weird. I'm not sure what that is, but anyway. Yeah. Okay. The Bible is the most read book in the world. It's also the most recognizable book ever published by human hands. In the past 50 years alone, more than 3.9 million copies have been sold. Filled with prayers, hymns, historical accounts, parables, prophecies, maps, and sketches, no other book can rival it. Not the collective quotations from Chairman Mao Tse-sung, nor Homer's Odyssey, not even J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Truly, the Bible is the king of books. Bookstore owner and collector Bob Wolf took the time last week to spread out across a table on a baker's dozen Bibles that he keeps in various corners of his store. Some of the books were rather modern with crisp, clean edges and faces. Others, however, appeared worn and ragged with age, well handled, much like the clothes and sandals described in Joshua 9.5. The oldest Bible on display and largest dated back to the late 1700s, Wolf said. Another, its front cover mimicking an ornate picture frame was published several years before the Civil War began. I'll never sell these, Wolf said. If they come in and I get them, I just keep them. They are cool little books. Cool little books indeed. Can you imagine, he said, tapping a Bible dated 1893, trying to read one of these in the dark? Many of, the, many of these were read by candlelight before electricity came along. Years ago, long before he opened Always Buying Books on North Main Street, Wolf was the proud owner of more than 300 Bibles. But these weren't your average dime store Bibles, he said. Far from it. During the mid-1970s, he and two friends came together to pool both money and talent and began hunting down, negotiating, purchasing, and collecting Bibles in their various translations. Because his two colleagues had the money, it fell to Wolf to undertake the legwork, which was quite extensive in those days. Remember, this was before the internet, Wolf said with a chuckle. So I began writing postcards and mailing, mailing them out to bookstores and individual collectors whose addresses he would root out from magazines. I was sending them to every state in the U.S. and all over England. Most of the places were out of business, but a few of them would write back to me. I would then call them up, some of them I couldn't understand due to their dialect, and sometimes I'd call and wake them up because of the time difference. But... Once they'd mail me the books, I would send them a check. 
The books were all fairly priced and they were all very trustworthy people. A cool aspect about his hobby, he added, was the fact that he was buying Bibles from 1650 and it didn't seem unusual at all, even if it was written in Old English. It was around that time that he was bitten by the collecting bug. I ended up with more and more and more Bibles. It just grew like anything else, he said. I got to the point to where I was buying Bibles by the case from someone in Arkansas. I'd buy another case of Bibles from someone in Georgia. Just hundreds of Bibles. Eventually, his obsession proved so strong that he remodeled the back porch of his home into a room lined with nice shelving just for my Bibles, he said. I even had a couple of guys from a Bible museum schedule an appointment just to see them, and they were very impressed. By this time, his collection was one of the largest found anywhere in the Midwest. He became so knowledgeable about Bibles and their various translations, in fact, that he could immediately tell a genuine from a fake simply by eyeballing the cover or interior pages. I didn't know that much, he said modestly, but I knew more than most people. But then life intervened and he lost his job in 1982. And around that same time, his wife was pregnant with their first child. For, me- for money, they first sold their new cars and then Bibles. When the baby came, I had to quit buying Bibles and an old boy out of Tulsa had been hounding me to buy my collection. And so one night I called him and said, here's the deal. I'm selling them. So bring cash. You be down here in three hours or I'm going to change my mind. And he did. And my understanding is that he then took my collection down to Texas and doubled his money. Buying the Bibles, Wolf said, was a short run for me. But boy, was it ever a cool run. (laughs) So, you know, I I bring that up. I I, I share the story um, because I find it fascinating. I always have that the news always has these stories about people in the Bible. Um, My main question for this guy, should I ever get to talk to him, would be, have you actually read the Bible? (laughs) It's one thing to collect the Bible, which is kind of cool. It's another thing to read it, to ingest it, to meditate on it, to know the contents, to know the author, right? Um, so that is my encouragement as we end this show tonight. That is to um, go before the Lord, open his word, lay it out before him, and do what the psalmist said. You know, deal bountifully with me, O Lord, according to your word. You know, if you're grieving, you know, There's a verse in Psalm 119 that says, My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. You know, um, the word of God will touch you and meet you wherever you need to be. Because the author knows you intimately. He searches you. He knows you when you sit and when you lie down. He scrutinizes your path. He lays his hand on you. He can talk to you. He can get a Bible into your hands. He can flip that page to where you need to see it. He can have the Holy Spirit illuminate it to you, make you understand it. All you got to do is ask him and he will because he loves you. So go forth today. Remember Bible News Radio, our goal here is to reach the hearts of people one verse at a time. Also encourage you in your faith to be bold, to stand up and to go with God because he loves you. He does. And don't ever forget that. We'll see you later.